Hi, welcome to the Recalculating Life podcast, helping you navigate the detours of life. I'm your host, Vijay Arora. I interview professionals of various careers to provide insight into their work experiences, education, lifestyle, and more, as well as discussing important topics in life. Discover your interests and aspirations with your host, Vijay Arora. Hi, Dr. Sue. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. If you could just start by introducing yourself and telling me a little bit about what you do. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. So I am a clinical endocrinologist. I'm a hormone expert, and I have a private medical practice practicing only endocrinology on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And, um, you know, I'm just really happy to be on your podcast. Well, so for people who don't know what endocrinology is or maybe want to go into that field, what would you describe it as? What do you do exactly? So endocrinology is the discipline within internal medicine or general medicine, as people call it sometimes, that focuses on hormones. And there are several different glands in the body from head to pelvis, I guess you can say, that generate hormones. And hormones are the chemicals in the body that crosstalk with other parts of the body to keep the organs functioning. So for example, there's the pituitary gland just under the brain that regulates the thyroid gland, which is in the neck, the adrenal glands, which are on top of each kidney, the ovaries, the testes, um, growth, they regulate lactation, you know, when women give birth. Um, And we also specialize in diabetes and bone metabolism. So for when patients have um, low bone density and, you know, they break their bones very easily, that's also, that also falls within our our discipline. Um, So it's, you know, it's a specialty that's very broad Mm-hmm. And that spans very many different parts of the body. And so it's, um, you know, I gravitated towards it because it's, it's never a dull moment. You know, I can be seeing patients who have diabetes one minute, another patient with a pituitary issue, another p- patient with a bone issue, another patient with a thyroid issue. And, you know, it's very mentally challenging in a good way. Um, but, it, but that's basically what endocrinology encompasses. So there's a lot of complex things. Um, How does that translate into the day-to-day? What do you do? How do you treat patients or help them? So me personally, I am Mm office-based. So endocrinologists in general can have private practices or be office-based where we see patients who have appointments and you know, appointment by appointment, they have certain medical problems within endocrinology, and we help them address that. Um, Or uh, it can be hospital based. So hospital based endocrinology is um, a setup where a hospital team is taking care of a patient who's been admitted to the hospital, that patient ends up having an issue that falls within our discipline. And they may call an endocrinologist for a consultation for that patient who's in the hospital. And it's not a matter that can wait until they're discharged from the hospital. So there's the outpatient or office-based world of endocrinology. And this is, this applies to most specialties within medicine. Um, And then there's the inpatient or hospital-based 
you know, care that's delivered to patients. And so when I started out, I did hospital-based and outpatient. And then about three years ago, three and a half years ago, I transitioned to only outpatient and to private practice as opposed to being employed by a hospital. So there are lots of different, you know, options within within each field and endocrinology as well. Um, but what I do is all outpatient or office-based. So it seems like you shifted from a hospital setting to more private practice. Would you consider yourself an entrepreneur considering you started your own private practice? I would. It's not anything I had planned when I went to medical school. Um, but, you know, as you mature and grow in your practice and you get exposed to other people within your discipline or other specialties, um, you exchange ideas, best practices, you learn about what fits the different phases of your life as a person and all, also what you're interested in as a professional. Um, I think it was the right move for me at the time that I made it. And I, I, I appreciate my journey up to that point and, and I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. But yes, it requires an entrepreneurial lean um, because it's not an easy thing you know, mm -hmm. to open your own business and, and to go off on your own. There's a lot of security that comes when you are employed by a hospital. You can get health insurance and you can get a salary and you can get set hours and, you know, but there's a lot of freedom that comes with private practice also. So at the end of that, you kind of touched on it, but how does private practice contrast with working in a hospital or for a hospital? Mm. That's a great question. So private practice um, can either be uh, a group practice or a solo practice. So in a group practice, there can be one particular specialty. So an endocrinology group practice with multiple physicians, or it can be multi-specialty. So a group practice, multiple physicians, but within different disciplines. So cardiology and endocrinology and nephrology, which is you know, has to do with the kidneys or pulmonology, with ha which has to do with the lungs, gastroenterology, et cetera. Um, I am in a group practice with another physician, um, but we only do endocrinology. And how it contrasts is that when one is employed by a hospital, the practice setting, the office location, the hours, the staff, the patient population is all dictated by the hospital. So when I was training, I was seeing patients in uh, Bellevue Hospital, and that was all dictated by Bellevue Hospital, who those patients were, what their access to healthcare was, what type of insurances they had, et cetera. Um, when someone is in private practice, you can actually dictate what are your hours? Where's your office? Who is your office staff? Do they reflect your principles? You have control over who you hire, who you fire. You have control over how you market yourself. Um, you have control over how you pay yourself, which is taking a big risk, but also is, you know, can be pretty rewarding. Um, so, you know, I, I think that private practice is, is for people who are willing to take a risk, but also has a big payoff um, in terms of professional growth, uh, job satisfaction, which may not be present when employed by a hospital. So would you say you enjoy, which one would you enjoy more? You know, I really appreciated my hospital um, salaried position 
because it allowed me to teach residents and medical students. It allowed me to serve as the di director of diabetes care at a major New York City hospital. Um, I took a lot of pleasure in drafting diabetes policies for the hospital. And then that those policies got expanded to, you know, a 22 hospital healthcare system in broader New York. But, you know, you grow as a professional in your mm -hmm. career and things, your needs change over time and your interests change over time. And I think what the turning point for me was, was, um, you know, I took every insurance and, and I poured everything I had into, you know, being a hospital employed physician. And I, I wanted more. I wanted to um, have more time with patients. You know, when you're employed by a hospital, they dictate how long you can spend with patients. So you might have 15, 10 minutes with someone. And I didn't think that was enough time because endocrinology is a really complex field and, and it takes a lot of time to explain endocrine problems to patients so that they fully understand and take ownership of their health. Um, and it was really, it was growing in, to be increasingly challenging um, being employed by, by a hospital. And, um, but, I, but I enjoyed what I learned, you know, being a hospital employed physician and, and I'm enjoying kind of the fruits of that labor now, now that I'm on my own. It seems like you kind of had to have had to have the experience of working in a hospital before shifting into private practice because there's a lot of stuff you learn. So, like, what are some of the most challenging things within your private practice now? So, some private practices are physician owned and run, and some are run by administrators. Um, we are physician owned and led private practice. So I don't have a practice manager. I don't have an office manager. Mm -hmm. uh, so the challenging part becomes the fact that in medical school, they don't teach you how to run a business. They don't teach you to manage staff. They don't teach you to know what to do when someone has accrued too much paid time off, etc. Mm -hmm. So I think that's been the most challenging part is to figure out how to do that while having only been trained to actually practice medicine. So it's more the administrative responsibility that you kind of weren't prepared for during medical school and working under a hospital. Right. You don't really pick that up in a hospital because you don't have to, yeah. you know, there are hospitals are full of administrators who keep the place running. Um, but it's also something that, if I had to do it over again, or if I had to mentor someone, you know, who was going through the process, I, my advice would be if they even choose to have a, a hospital based or hospital salaried position before they went out, out and did something on their own, um, my advice would be to pay attention to those administrators, pay attention to how things run, because medical students are, n are not really taught that. Uh, and I think that, that that's invaluable, that lesson. So when working with patients and running your own business, um, how do you measure success within that, within your role? Yeah. Um, so I measure success and, you know, I guess every physician would be different. Yeah. Right. Um, I measure success by having a full schedule of patients 
who, upon leaving their appointments, feel cared for and heard, and so much so that they leave saying to me, oh, I have a brother, an uncle, a husband, a sister, and I would love to send them to you for their endocrine problem. That's, that's my measure of success. Um, from the business side, I would say that one would obviously want to cover their overhead. You know, you need to generate enough income to cover your overhead, to pay your staff, to pay your rent, to pay your bills, to pay your biller, to pay the accountant, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and that should be a fraction of gross earnings. And you also need to support yourself. So, so there's your, there's a salary that, you know, every physician would need depending on what area of the country they live in, whether it's a low cost of area, a low cost of living area or a high cost of living area. Um, but, uh, but from a business perspective, you can look at overhead as a percentage of gross earnings. You can look at how you are viewed within your community of physicians. You can look at whether you are continuing to accrue referrals from other physicians who have practices similar to yours, but are in different disciplines. And then of course your patient's general satisfaction and whether they return to see you. Those are, those are basically the metrics by which you would measure your success. So it seems like that through private practice, it really allows you to create those personal relationships. Like you said, in hospital setting, you didn't have much time with your patients. So what would you find the most rewarding about what you do within your private practice? So I am what is called an empath. And I think that being an empath lends itself very well to being a physician. Um, the most rewarding thing is when a, a patient says to me, and this happens, I feel very blessed that it happens not infrequently. Mm -hmm. A patient says to me, I've seen X number of doctors and you're the first one that I will come back to like that. I mean, that mm. that's something that I can lay my head on my pillow at night and sleep very soundly from it really, it, it fills my bucket, so to speak. Mm. Um, and I, I know that people go into medicine for various reasons, but being an empath and being able to feel what other people feel and then to give back, to them positivity about their situation and guidance and having them want to hear it because they feel heard is the best part of what I do. And do you feel private practice makes that easier than in the hospital? I do feel that it makes it easier. I mean, I've always been wired this way. So even in my hospital based positions, I extended that, but there's a, there's a little more anonymity when when you're a hospital-based physician because there's turnover in the office you know some physicians come and go and sometimes you're working with residents which is also very rewarding um, but sometimes your residents see your patients and it's you know it's it's you overseeing the care but you're not having the direct primary contact with the patient whereas in private practice when they come to your practice they're coming to see you and my practice are coming to see me specifically. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot at stake there. You know, if they call my office and someone's in a bad mood when they answer the phone, ultimately the buck stops with me, but mm. 
But the reward is also that there's no anonymity. When they feel heard and helped, that's also because I did that directly with them. So it's kind of like, so I, I think it's like the risk of bearing the responsibility, but it's the reward is worth the risk in a sense. In my opinion. I mean, it's, you know, when I started out uh, after residency and I got my first real job, so to speak, um, my, my trajectory, you know, and going to private practice never really entered my mind because I was pretty risk averse. But then over time, you encounter people in different scenarios. And I always really admired the patient, the, the physicians, excuse me, who were in private practice, who took this risk. And I just thought to myself, like, wow, so that's really possible. It's really possible to do it your own way. And to not be to not have your time dictated every moment of the day, um, to spend an hour with patients as opposed to 30 minutes or 20 minutes to see someone back, you know, sooner than your schedule would allow. Um, what I also ended up doing was, you know, having the power to say, I'm going to take certain insurances or not take any insurances to, to have more power over, you know, how much time I can spend with people. So we've talked about, about the later half or later part of you in medicine. So Obviously, as a doctor, there's a lot of schooling, I'm guessing, education to get there. So if you could touch on like your childhood or education and what you've learned from there that you've been able to apply in your career. So no one tells you when you're five and you say you want to be a doctor that that's 27 years of school. Yeah. Okay. So there's 12 years of elementary, middle, high school together. Mm-hmm. Then there are four years of university, four years of medical school, and then variable, a variable number of years for uh, residency. Should one choose to specialize within their field, there's a fellowship or several fellowships after that. So by the time you're 30, you are now ready to get your first job. Maybe your late twenties, if you're lucky. And it is a huge life commitment. And in my opinion, not one that one should enter lightly. I mean, you really need to have the passion, have the drive, love what you're going to do. And initially, you know, I would play doctor with my friends when I was little and I was always the doctor and they were always the patient. Mm -hmm. And I told my parents when I was five, I am the cliche. I told my parents when I was five that I wanted to be a doctor. And, you know, being an Indian American, they were very pleased <laughs> that at five I declared my, you know, professional uh, goals. And I never really wavered from that, except in high school. I remember doing an article for the local newspaper because um, they had a scholar of the week, you know, article. And I told them I wanted to be an epidemiologist, which is interesting now with Corona going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh, the epidemiologists should have the stage that, that they don't always, but they should. Um, and in... In, uh, in high school, I was really inspired by my biology teacher. 
he was someone who saw the greater potential in his students. He really guided them on a good path. And, and he affirmed what I had in my mind, which was that I thought I would make a good physician. And I remember him, um, even when I applied for college, you know, I applied to one school. I knew exactly where I wanted to go. I applied early decision. I don't think that happens in 2020, but this was, you know, 1999. Um, and it was a program known for an extremely rigorous pre-medical education. Mm-hmm. The averages on the exams at the university I attended are were 45 and 50. Um, so, you know, no one tells you when you're pre-med that you're going to go to college and spend 90% of your time studying. But, you know, I, I think that what ends up happening is that there's a weeding out process. And the more transparency there is around that, I think the better. So um, there's a weeding out process and you go through your schooling and at every stage, people say it's going to get easier, it's going to get easier. Mm-hmm. And I think that's to, you know, push people through and to keep, keep going. Um, and, you know, in some respects, it does get easier, but, but the time commitment does not lessen over time. You just get better at managing it. And so I think what I got out of my training all these years was that it really takes persistence. It takes grit. It takes family support. It takes um, friendships. You know, you make a lot of strong friendships with the people with whom you train um, because you're all in this pressure cooker together. Mm-hmm. And when you emerge from it together, you emerge stronger and knowing each other really, really well. So I, there's a lot more than just the books. It's the relationships you build, and it's what you learn about yourself, too. I mean, you really learn whether you can hack it or not, because it's, it's an extremely rigorous 27 years. The latter, you know, 10 years or so are, are especially um, grueling, but rewarding. So through all the schooling and all the time, it's, it seems like a very big lifelong commitment. So how do you advise people who aren't sure, like to figure out if it's really what they want to do? For people who are thinking about medicine, it's really important to shadow someone mm-hmm. who is in medicine and preferably someone who is in a, a field of medicine that the person is thinking about exploring. So I didn't decide on endocrinology until I was a second year resident. And I felt that I was particularly adept at explaining complex hormonal relationships to patients in plain language that could be understood and put into action. Mm-hmm. Um, that only came because I did an elective in endocrinology, which wasn't part of my mandatory education. So exposure from an early time to people who are in medicine, I think can really open one up to whether they love something or could potentially love something or whether they've ruled it out. You know, I, I don't, I wouldn't look at, volunteering or shadowing as a waste of time if someone ultimately doesn't end up choosing that discipline. I think um, just exposure 
as much exposure as possible to as many different types of physicians or other healthcare practitioners as possible. You know, the, the road to being a physician is long, but the road to becoming a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner is shorter. Um, so even shadowing those types of roles could better inform someone who's thinking about medicine. Right. So once someone decides that they want to go into medicine, obviously they'll have to go through all that schooling that you mentioned and those tough experiences and, and the tests. So how do you, how, what lessons or pieces of advice would you have for people trying to stay persistent and get through those tough times? So getting through the tough times, you have to remind yourself why you chose it. Mm -hmm. um, did your parents make you choose it? You won't last very long. <laughs> if you chose it because your heart truly resides in the land of wanting to help, wanting to better the humans around you in a way that they may not be able to do themselves because they don't have access to the education or the testing or you know, the prescriptions or the lifestyle advice or whatever it is, you have to keep going back to the reason that you started because there will be tough moments. There will be joyous moments. There will be competitive moments with others, mm -hmm. which is not everyone's cup of tea. Um, so the first piece of advice I have is to just reminding yourself as often as possible as to why you went into it in the first place. The second thing is surround yourself with people who make you better. That might be a competitive classmate who's a little bit smarter than you, but when you study with them, you get better. Um, that might be a good friend who understands you and allows you to vent. That might be your parents who truly know you at your, from your core and can remind you that you're a capable, confident, intelligent person who can do that, who can, who can go on this journey. Um, so really surrounding yourself with people who make you better and lift you up, I think is, is really helpful. And then of course, being organized, you know, going through this much schooling, medical students who make it all the way through are known to be some of the most organized um, people around and, uh, and, and that's, that's obviously, you know, important for, for reasons that I don't have to go into. Um, and just the other, the, the last thing I would say is to not forget about taking care of yourself, your physical being, your emotional well-being, um, your mental well-being. That can get lost when the schedules are rigorous and the course loads are um, also rigorous, and there's so much pressure. So just making sure that you are taking care of all of the aspects of your own health and are being a model to the patients that you'll eventually take care of, um, that's, that's going to make you a very well-rounded, grounded future physician, you know, to anybody who's, who is interested in going to medicine. And the, having that support system, I think, is really important, also focusing on yourself. And with all that time going into schooling and also in the fellowships and residencies that you mentioned, how does that um, translate with home life and spending time with family? Like, do you feel content with how much family time you have and free time you have? So I have a better work-life balance 
now that I dictate my own schedule mm -hmm. than I did in training. When one is in training, one can't really expect to have full control over their time. There are shifts, there are months that are hard, there are night rotations where you may not even see your significant other or family or children. Um, and you know, more and more people are going through this training with children. I mean, I, I didn't uh, until fellowship, but I had classmates in residency who, who had families and um, you know, there, there is very little work-life balance during residency, but depending on the choice you make after residency, you could either have a better life, work-life balance or one that's a, a little more challenging um, to have control over. So, you know, in my years of training, I did my best to see family and, and friends. And, um, but most of the time, the people you're spending time with are your classmates, especially in medical school and, and in residency. And then after that, it gets a little bit easier. So there's a lot of time and effort and sacrifice that goes into becoming a doctor. So is there anything or a different decision or change you would make if you could go back, a change you'd make during your education or career? So I'm probably an outlier here. Um, I a thousand and one percent love what I do. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I would not have chosen anything different. Um, for some of my friends and peers, if they're not happy with the aspect of medicine that they practice, um, I think I think some I think the common thread there is that they weren't fully sold on this being their path when they first decided to go into it. You know, some some went into it for family pressure, some went into it for monetary gain. Um, the whole monetary gain thing is is sort of a, a thing of the past. Um, you invest so much into your education, and many physicians come out of their training with a lot of debt. And it takes a long time to pay that off. So, so I think for me, I have no regrets, but I think for my colleagues who do, it's because they may not have been aware of the debt mm -hmm. or their heart wasn't completely in it, so to speak. So before entering this field, I would say really take the time and like I said, shadow somebody who is in the field and speak to be people on both sides of the coin, people who have no regrets and people who would have done things differently. So I think your question is a great one. But for me personally, I would have done this again, mm -hmm. a thousand percent. Um, but I've, I, I definitely can see how some of my friends who are in medicine may not have made the, this choice again, because it's a challenging one. Mm -hmm. See, I, there's a lot to learn from people who've been through the experience of education and career. And so from that, to wrap it up, kind of putting you on the spot here, but what's like one lesson that you've learned that you think would be useful for teenagers, kids my age, when going through this experience and becoming an adult? I'd say the most important lesson that I would even love to impart in my own children mm -hmm. is that how you present yourself 
to the adults in your life and also to your peers will be remembered for a long time. So you can do yourself a favor by presenting yourself as someone who is mature, mm -hmm. who, is, who has respect, who is well-spoken, who is well-read, who is thoughtful. And you never know upon whom you're making an impression. You may have a conversation with a, with a classmate who ends up being at your university. And you may not be friends at university, but you end up in the same company when you graduate, or you have similar interests and you start a company together. Mm -hmm. um, so the impressions that you make early on in your life can actually take you quite far. And that's a lesson I had to learn on my own. And I think that the earlier someone learns that lesson, the better. You never know who's in your company. You never know who can make a connection for you, for whom you can make a connection. It's kind of like the currency through which the world runs. I, I think that that's really important to tap into mm -hmm. um, because everyone can benefit from that. You know, some people call it networking. I, I think it's more nuanced than that. And so just present yourself well, whenever you can, would be my one piece of advice, because you never know who you're going to run into down the line, and it really matters. Yeah, I think that's really interesting and really important, because creating those relationships early on, you never know what kind of benefit you can get from it later in life. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I learned a lot and is very wise, and I I don't know much about medicine, but it was fun to talk about it. It was my pleasure. Um, thanks so much for the great thought-provoking questions. It's good to, you know, have a conversation with a super intelligent guy and to feel even more um, happy about what I ended up choosing to do. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed and learned a lot. Stay tuned for our next episode.